Yo, I'm so excited to be here this morning. Looks like we have a pretty full house, and I'm so glad that you chose to join us. I just look around the room, see all these people, and I just get excited about what God is doing in our church and in our community. And this is the whole reason of why we have three services now. It's not because we're a super huge church, but our space is a little bit small, as you probably saw the three parking spaces. And uh, we are super excited about moving to a bigger building that can accommodate two services. But until then, if you are excited about what God is doing in the ministry here, and you want to find one small way to kind of help out with that, something that you could do is come to the first service. And that might sound like, what? But by coming to the first service, that can actually be like a ministry for you, a way for you to serve God and serve other people in the church by really offering somebody else a seat in the second or third service. So if God has laid that on your heart, I really want to encourage you to follow through with that. But either way, we are just so glad that you are here, whether you've come here for the first or second time or you've been coming here for a while. We are in a series now called Be Real in the book of James. And we're really talking about what it looks like to have a real and authentic faith in God. Not a faith that is shakable, not a faith that is superficial, not a faith that is fake. A real, authentic faith. And this morning, we're going to be talking about wisdom and what wisdom reveals about our faith. Now, I will never forget this one time when I saw somebody's faith in action. I was hiking on the Appalachian Trail with my father-in-law. I was tagging along with him because he was taking a church group out there to do some leadership training. And the group of guys from this church were super awesome. Like I went into this trip thinking about how I could invest in their lives and build into them. And they really just built into my life. And there was this one guy on the trip named Raymond. And he was kind of a quiet, easygoing guy. But as the trip went on and he started to get more comfortable with people in the group, he'd start to come out of his shell and open up a little bit. Now, I was hiking with Raymond, and we were going up this trail, and there was a hiker coming at us the other way. And Raymond put out his fist for a friendly fist bump. He's like, hey, man, how's it going? And this other hiker just totally ignored him, just left him hanging, which is kind of awkward. And so Raymond gave him a friendly pat on the shoulder and just kept walking. And we're partway up this hill, and we hear that other hiker yell, Hey, you touched me. I never said you could touch me. Come back here. Come give me an apology. We're like, what is this guy's problem? And we keep hearing him yell like, you better come back here or I'm coming up to you. And I look back to see this guy throw his backpack to the ground and sprint up this trail to stand off against Raymond. And he's like, you touch me? Why do you think you could touch me? You disrespect me like that? Come on, man. Give me an apology. We want to fight? Come on. And so Raymond, who's a pretty easygoing guy, is like, dude, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean anything by that. I didn't want to offend you in any way. Please forgive me. And the angry hiker's like, you didn't mean that. Come on, take off your backpack. Let's fight. And so at this point, I can't even quote everything that was coming out of the mouth of this hiker. Like, most of it was profanity. And so Raymond is 
trying to just keep his cool. And he's just like speaking life into this guy. He's like, you're awesome, man. I'm so sorry. God loves you. And this angry hiker, it just makes him ticked off even more. And now he's like just taking shots at Raymond. Like, yo, is this guy stupid or something? And so then Raymond starts praying for this guy out loud. He's like, God, please intervene in this situation. Please calm things down. Let this man know that he's loved. And so now the angry hiker is cursing at God. And like, there was no calming this guy down. And he was constantly saying, take off your backpack. Come on, let's fight. I'll fight all of you guys. Come on, let's fight. Now, as I've told this story, you probably have a picture in your mind of what this angry hiker looked like. Well, he probably doesn't, reality probably doesn't match what's in your mind. This guy was like a crisp 140 pounds, like <laughs> no bigger than that. I'm pretty sure he was wearing like a bucket hat and glasses and not the kind of person that I would place my money on in a fight. And then Raymond, he was like, this guy grew up Amish. He's got to be like a solid 180 pounds. He's like an ultra runner. So like he's trim and just like best shape of his life. And this guy's just trying to pick a fight with Raymond. He's ready to throw punches with all of us. And I, I was like, what could get into somebody to pick a fight like that? And by the way he was carrying himself, I honestly believe that there must be so much emotional turmoil going on in this guy's life that he just wanted to let out some aggression and throw some punches. And I even think that he would have welcomed some punches to just kind of drown out whatever emotional pain he was going through. And thankfully, me and this other guy, we put on like a stern dad voice. We're like, hit the trail, dude. Get out of here. And finally, he got the idea, and he walked away, and there wasn't any fight. And so finally, the group of us, uh, we went down the trail a little bit more, and we just prayed for this guy. I don't know what was going on in his life that would get him so worked up like that. And I was just so impressed with Raymond that even when somebody else was riled up and calling for a fight, that he kept his cool and he was gentle and gracious. Even though somebody else was slinging insults at him, that he was just praying for this guy and speaking life into him and seeing that Raymond wasn't just frustrated and mad at this hiker, but he was burdened for him and whatever it was that was going on in this other hiker's life. And that was just a really encouraging time for me to see that kind of example of his faith in God and seeing his faith in action. So Raymond, he, just, he grew up in an Amish family and as he got older, he heard the gospel, put his faith in Jesus and as part of that journey, he left behind some of the traditions that he grew up with and he just works a job operating heavy machinery. He doesn't have a bunch of degrees attached to his name. He doesn't have a resume full of diverse life experiences. But I honestly believe that Raymond is one of the wisest people that I've ever met. That's because of this truth, that wisdom is not seen in what you know, but in what you do. And sometimes we just equate wisdom with smarts, or we think that if you just hit a certain point in life, as you get older, then you become wise. But that's not what the Bible says about wisdom. And so we're going to turn to James chapter 3, 
and read about wisdom. And I'll have it up here on the screen if you'd like to follow along. James chapter 3, starting in verse 13. James says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their Bible knowledge or education or degrees or resume. Nope. What he says is, Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. And so, What James is saying here is that wisdom isn't just about having the right information. It's about living out the right information. And he's going to go on to talk about two kinds of wisdom. Wrong wisdom and right wisdom. Wrong wisdom is the kind of wisdom that comes from me and puts me first. Let's keep reading in verse 14. He says, But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. So James is calling this wisdom, but it's really a counterfeit wisdom. This isn't the real deal. This is selfish ambition and envy. And he's saying this doesn't come from from God. This isn't from heaven. This comes from inside of you. This comes from the bad influences of people around you. He even calls it straight up demonic. And as Christians, we shouldn't mess around with anything demonic. And some of us have different ways of going about that. Maybe your conviction is to not do anything for Halloween, like you just shut the lights off and pretend like you're not home. Or you're really adamant about not watching the Harry Potter movies. And that's fine if that's your conviction. But I think if that's all we do to try to stay away from things that are demonic, then we're kind of missing it. I think Satan would be okay if we just didn't do anything for Halloween one night of the year, as long as we let selfish ambition and envy into our hearts every other day of the year. And if we want to guard our hearts from things that are demonic, we really need to guard our heart against selfish ambition and envy. Envy is wanting what other people have. Selfish ambition is putting my wants, desires, and needs above the needs and desires of other people. And going about that with an attitude that kind of tells other people that I think that I'm better than them. And that's not right. The right kind of wisdom comes from God and it puts others first. So let's keep reading in verse 17. He says, But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. And so I took all of the words here that James uses to describe heavenly wisdom and put them all on a screen. And if you can't see it on the screen, thankfully, we have this little handout. And so if you got one of these, you can turn to the back side of it where it says heavenly wisdom. 
So the first thing in the list is pure. What that means is it's the absence of worldly wisdom, the things we talked about, selfish ambition and envy. Peace-loving delights in peace, and it promotes peace. Considerate is not combative or abrasive. It's not being a rigid rule follower. Or if you're submissive, you're not insisting on your own rights and ways. To be full of mercy means to show compassion to those in need. Full of good fruit is being rich in good deeds. And being impartial means that you don't show favoritism. And sincere means without hypocrisy and being genuine, not putting on a front. And as I was looking at these qualities from the book of James, I've seen that in the life of my friend Raymond and how he dealt with that angry hiker. That even when harsh words were thrown at him, he responded with mercy. Even though this guy wanted to fight, my friend Raymond was peace-loving and he was gentle and pure. And the more that I look at this list of words from the brother of Jesus, the more I see that this is really a picture of Jesus's life, Jesus's example. We talk a lot about becoming more like Jesus in our thoughts, attitudes, and behaviors, but it, it kind of hit me that sometimes we don't really go to the Gospels and look at Jesus's example of how we should be living our lives. And so I want to use this morning as an opportunity to do that and to see how Jesus lives out each and every one of these qualities that we just saw here in the book of James. And I have these on the handout for you to follow along because we are going to be covering a lot of scripture in a short amount of time. So if you want to pull this out, we're going to be starting in Matthew chapter 12 and in verse 9. We talk about how Jesus was considerate, that Jesus was not argumentative, abrasive, or a rigid rule follower. So back in the time of Jesus, the Israelite people were still living under uh, the law of Moses, which meant that they had to keep all of the Old Testament rules. And one of the Old Testament rules was keeping the Sabbath day holy. That meant not working for a full 24 hours. And this was a good rule, but there were religious leaders who were super legalistic in their rule keeping. And they really hated that Jesus was not as legalistic about obeying these rules as they were. And so they were trying to get Jesus in trouble. So in Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 9, it says, Going from that place, he, Jesus, went into their synagogue, which was their place of worship. And a man with a shriveled hand was there, and looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus. They asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And so he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Now, keeping the Sabbath 
It was a good rule, but the purpose of that rule was to draw people into a closer relationship with God. But the problem was that the religious leaders were using the Sabbath day as a reason to not do good for other people. They were missing the whole purpose behind God's heart here. And Jesus exposes their double standard, and they'll save a sheep and then look out for their own interests, but they won't help somebody else in need. And so Jesus shows here that he was not a a rigid rule follower, that he did not let legalism get in the way of doing good for somebody in need. Now moving on to the next one, Jesus is full of mercy. He shows compassion to those in need. In this story, it says, As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet, but they shouted all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. What I love about this story is that Jesus' motivation for healing these men was his compassion. And I'm sure that Jesus had places to be, people to meet, but he did not let those things get in the way of showing compassion to these people in need. And Jesus is also impartial. It means that he doesn't show favoritism. And this is something that even the disciples, after spending time with Jesus, they didn't really get this right, at least at first. So in Luke 18, it says, People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. And when the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. And Jesus kind of breaks down some of the cultural norms of his day by welcoming children to come to him. We know from other stories in the Bible, Jesus also welcomed women to come join him in his ministry. And we know that Jesus set up the church and he broke down the divide between the Jewish people and those of us who don't share in the Jewish heritage. And what he shows is that all are welcome into the kingdom of God no matter what your ethnicity is, no matter what your gender is, no matter what your age is. All are welcome into the kingdom of God. And then Jesus also showed that he is full of good fruit. He is rich in good deeds. Now, of all the people who've ever walked the face of this earth, Jesus is the one who deserves to be waited on hand and foot. But Jesus didn't ever live that kind of lifestyle or make any kind of demand like that. Like Jesus could have come to this earth in a flaming chariot surrounded by the glory of angels But instead, he chose to come to earth in the form of a baby, born in a stable, surrounded by dirty animals and shepherds. 
And Jesus could have set up his kingdom on earth. He could have put together the biggest army that this world has ever seen, the most elaborate kingdom here on physical earth. But instead, Jesus came to serve people. He, just, he served his disciples by doing the most menial task, like washing their feet. And so that's what we see in this story in John. It says, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus never lived like he was above serving other people. Even though he, out of anyone else, is the one who's deserving of being served. And I think that sets an incredible example for us. Jesus also sets an example for us of being submissive, not insisting on his own rights and ways. And you might be like, what? Jesus was submissive? That doesn't even sound right. After all, Jesus is God. And the fact that Jesus submits to God the Father doesn't make him any less God. It doesn't take away any of his value. Jesus is God. God the Father is God. And it's Jesus' role to be submissive to the Father. And we see this in the way that Jesus prays. In this next story, Jesus is in a garden and this is right before he gets captured and taken away to be crucified. So in Matthew chapter 26, it says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken away from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And Jesus did not want to die on the cross. Who would? And Jesus is 100% God, but he was also 100% man. And he still felt that emotional stress before even going to the cross. And he was thinking about what he would have to go through in order to offer salvation to those who believe. The pain, the suffering, the mocking. And Jesus is praying to God, like, if there is another way to offer salvation, let's, let's do this other way instead of going to the cross but then he says, but yet not as I will, but as you will. And that wasn't just a fancy way for Jesus to end his prayer. What we see is a window into his heart and his attitude of submission to God that is not about his desires and his plans, but about God the Father's plans for salvation. And that sets an incredible example for us. And then in this next story, is all about Jesus being captured, to be taken away, to go to the cross. And Jesus could have just said the word, and a whole army of angels could have come to his defense. He could have fought back. 
But Jesus was peace-loving. It says, when the followers, when Jesus' followers saw that what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? Because they saw that they were going to take Jesus away. And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. And Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched that man's ear and healed him. So dude's ear gets chopped off, and Jesus could have been like, that's why you don't mess with Jesus. And the disciples get some of that. But Jesus healed the very man that had come to take him captive because Jesus loves peace. And the last one we'll talk about here is that Jesus is sincere, that he's without hypocrisy, he's genuine, never puts on a front. All throughout history, there have been no shortages of false teachers and people who claim to know the way to God. And they can pull off all kinds of stunts to get people to buy into what they're talking about. Maybe even do healings or something like that. But Jesus is the only one who's claimed to know the way to God and been raised from the dead. And this next story is about when Jesus was raised from the dead. He showed himself, himself to the disciples, except for one disciple named Thomas. And since Thomas hadn't seen Jesus, he didn't believe that Jesus was really risen from the dead. And so this is about Jesus coming to him. In John chapter 20, it says, A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Jesus showed the disciples his scars as proof that he really died on that cross. But he had also been raised again to new life. You see, Jesus isn't just a good teacher who lived way back in history. Jesus made the claim that he is the son of God, the one who came into this world to take away the sins of the world. And he proved that he was sincere and that all of his claims are true through his resurrection. And as I look at this list of all these virtues, pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, full of good fruit, impartial and sincere, I just see the life of Jesus and it gets me thinking, what if this is what described my life? As a church, what if we were known for living this out? What if this is how we go about having tough conversations with people that we disagree with? People who just want to cause tension in our life. What if living this out is our plan for making a difference in our community? Because I really think that if we can model this in our own lives, that we're really a walking, breathing example of Jesus to people who might never see that example. And we have this opportunity to be the light of Jesus by putting this on in our lives. And I know that's what I want so badly for myself. I want to be known by this by my unsaved friends. I want my wife to see this in me at home, just doing daily life when I'm not here at church. 
And I also know that I'm so guilty of just letting envy and selfish ambition kind of creep into my heart. And it gets in the way of living this out and being like an example of Jesus. And so I'm making this commitment to really focus on this in my personal life. And I want to invite you to make that same commitment. And there's probably a bunch of different ways that you could go about it. But what I was thinking about for myself is like, what if I woke up every morning and my thought was to pray to God and ask that he would give me opportunities to show compassion to someone, to do good deeds, to just live a sincere life. What if before going into tough conversations or being around people that are kind of hard to deal with, I prayed that God would help me to be full of mercy, that he would help me to be peace-loving in my attitude and the way that I treat those other people. And I think that if we can really make this commitment and model this in our lives, it can make an incredible difference just in our personal lives, in our family, the people we work with, the people in our community, even the church and the love and the unity that we can have with each other. And so at this time, I'm going to pray and then transition to the next part of our service, and we'll go from there. Heavenly Father, it's so easy to just buy into worldly wisdom the idea of um, I just got to help myself or try to get ahead in life at the expense of really following the example of Jesus. I thank you that Jesus sets that perfect example for us. Jesus doesn't even deserve to be the one serving other people, but he did that. He washed the disciples' feet. He died on the cross for our sins. God, please strip away from my heart any justifications for living my own selfish way. And I ask that you would just do a work in all of our lives, that we would just have humble and sincere hearts that come to you and ask that you would help us to model this in our lives so that we can walk in the footsteps of Jesus and just be a light for you and be that light in darkness to people who don't yet know Jesus as their Savior. Help us not to try to go about this in our own strength. God, we are broken people and we mess up all the time and we need your help. So I ask that you would help us to live this out. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.